Well, welcome to all travelers on this life's journey. Hello and welcome to Life Anonymous. This is Pastor Mike Oberg. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Journey Lutheran Church in beautiful West Fargo, North Dakota. And this week, the fair is going on. So get on down to the Red River Valley Fair. Check it out. There's a lot of great concerts. There's a lot of great uh, displays. And you'll probably run into a few uh, faith journey, friends and neighbors and members there, because I saw a whole lot of them there uh, last night. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for your support of our podcast um, and all the ministries of Faith Journey Lutheran Church, because it is because of you that we can provide all the different ministries that we have here. We can uh, do what we are called to do. We can uh, be the congregation that God has called us to be. We can equip, we can connect, and we can empower people to serve the world in the name of Jesus because of the gracious, sacrificial, and generous uh, donations that you, our listeners, and all of our members uh, give to the church. If you'd like to support us, you can certainly do that. Um, it is uh, a pleasure to have support coming in from all over the country. Uh, like I said, I think last week we had a we had a person from California uh, log on, and they uh, sent us a nice donation. So thank you for that. Uh, if you'd like to do that, go to our website. You can scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Just keep scrolling till you can't scroll no more. And you will see uh, uh, a little piece of information there that says, if you'd like to support Faith Journey and its ministries, click here. You click that button. takes us to the uh, online giving platform. You can choose specifically to support the podcast, or you can just give an offering, uh, a general offering to the church. Um, we're humbled by your support, and we thank you. So I put out the feelers last week and asked people if they have questions that they would like uh, addressed on the podcast, specifically of a theological nature. We would love to receive those uh, questions. And lo and behold, we got a few. And I thought I'd start with this one because this is one of those really basic questions that we ask a lot. You know, last week we asked the question, how do I know? Uh, that I'm okay with God. And this week, uh, this question is equally as deep. And uh, I think a lot of people might struggle with this, even those who are seasoned Christians, mature in the faith, as the Apostle Paul would say. And it says, if God is an all-loving, all-caring God, if God is present everywhere in the world, then why is there so much suffering going on in our world? And that's generally, but specifically also in people's lives. Why do individual folks experience suffering in this world. Now, that is an age-old question, and when you read the Old Testament, almost from the very beginning, the question of suffering in the presence of an all-loving God can be found. The foundational stories of the Bible include commentary on what suffering might mean or how the people of God interpret suffering, uh, both individually and corporately. The book of Job is all about how do we reconcile a loving God and uh, suffering in one's life? So as we dive into this question, I want to I want to make a cautionary note here that when you are with someone who is in the midst of suffering, let's say, for instance, uh, a loved one has passed away. Um, we don't want to jump into a lot of the platitudes that we have might heard in the past. 
you know, this is all part of God's plan, or God needed another angel, or God wanted a, another rose in God's garden, those kinds of things. It was time for God to take your loved one home. And the reason that we don't want to do that is no matter how much we might try to emotionally and psychologically and spiritually ease the pain for someone who's experiencing that, our comments, our logic uh, is often not heard by the one who is suffering um, in the way we intend it to be heard. And so a lot of times when we're trying to ease the pain, we're making statements or we're putting forth uh, uh, ways in which to ease that person's pain. And for that person, most often those are pretty irrelevant. Um, and so it's not good to tell someone who mourns the loss of a child, say in the recent condo collapse in Surfside, Florida, to tell them that this was all part of God's plan and all things work for good for those who love the Lord. Now, those things are true. But when someone is in the middle of that deep pain in their life, um, usually the things we say, no matter how true they might be, uh, do many times more harm than they do good. Because the ears of those who are in the middle of the suffering um, they're hearing something completely different, especially when we say things like, uh, God took your child home. Um, God received this blessed child of God into God's eternal kingdom. But when we say God took, well, why did God take my child? Why didn't God go take somebody else's child? Who, you know, all that, all that stuff. So when people are suffering, explanations just don't work. You can't logic people uh, into a certain level of understanding in their suffering. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't really try to take that away from them because suffering and grief and pain are part of our human ex experience. And what we can do uh, is we can embody what we would otherwise tell them. Instead of telling them God loves them, be the love of God in their life. Instead of telling them that God is embracing them with, with God's mighty arms, embrace them with your mighty arms. Because when you do that, when you embrace them, when we sit with them, when you grieve with them, when you cry with them, you are embodying God in their life. You are being the presence of God. And not only that, you're being the presence of the whole church. Everywhere, every time, every place, when we don't try to explain things, when we don't try to uh, uh, put logic into a completely illogical circumstance, when somebody we know is caught in the midst of things that no one can possibly understand, uh, the last thing we want to do is try to logic them out of it or, or, or start quoting Bible verses, because folks uh, in that state don't hear it. And oftentimes what they hear is something that adds to their pain instead of reduces it. And we want to reduce it. We want people to feel better. We That's part of our, our nature as Christians is we want to help. But in those times, uh, helping means more just being with, present with, loving them, crying with them, being with them. Hold them in the midst of their suffering because that's what God would do. That's what God would do. God would embrace them. God would just hold on to them. 
Um, they may not be able to hear the words that we speak, but they certainly will uh, feel the presence, feel that loving, supportive, caring presence. And your presence in those moments is definitely the presence of God. So that's the, I want to put that proviso out there because everything that I'm going to talk about now about why is there suffering in the world is really something we don't share with people who are suffering. Everything, all of this qualifies as things not to tell people when they're in the midst of suffering. Um, this is something for much later on. This is something for understanding on a deeper level why there is suffering. And if we understand why there is suffering, then we understand that sometimes we will suffer. Um, this is the place where uh, many of us Christians come to understanding. But I have to also add this. Most of what I'm about to say, even though it is what we believe about suffering, gets thrown out the window when suffering visits us. And we don't need to revisit it. We need that loving presence of, of people with us as part of that healing process. Um, healing takes time and healing takes intention. Um, we don't get from point A to point Z in one giant leap. There are many, many, many steps in between that place of experiencing suffering in our life and then getting to the point of being able to say we are healed of it. Um, we don't forget it. Never goes away. But we are healed of that. And that, that takes time and that takes intent. And there's a lot of steps. So we don't want to just jump to point Z when we've got a whole bunch of other steps that we have to hit on before that. When I had my neck surgery, and uh, first of all, I had that ugly, horrible brace on my neck for six weeks. And the doctor said, I am not allowed to lift anything heavier than five pounds for the first two weeks. And that meant I could not even lift a gallon of milk. So when I had my cereal in the morning, my kids had to get the milk out of the fridge for me and pour my milk because I was uh, not allowed to lift anything heavier than five pounds. I have to say I'm a decently strong guy, and I was not happy with that restriction. I wanted to jump right into it. I wanted to start doing exercises. I wanted to be back to normal. And it wasn't until this month, a year from my neck surgery, that my doctor will let me allow to do things at the pre-surgery level or back to normal. And the question is, well, why is that? And the answer is simple. My body, specifically my neck, would not be able to handle the strain if I just started doing things like I did them before. And I could injure myself. I could damage the stuff they put in my neck. I could do a whole bunch of uh, uh, hurt to myself if I got too far down the road and tried to jump into things way too soon. It's the same for folks who experience suffering. They may ask for explanations. They may ask that question, why? But the truth is, their heart can't handle the explanation because their heart has been wounded and their heart needs time to heal. And that's why as Christians, we don't want to start quoting the Bible and we don't want to start quoting those platitudes that we so often hear. Our job is to hug and to care for and to embrace and to lift up and to support. Only when we are not in the midst of suffering can we most of the time look at the Bible and see what our faith teaches us. So we begin by asking that very important question. Why is there even suffering allowed in the world? 
If God is all loving, why does God allow these things? Well, there's a short answer, and then there's a much longer answer, and they're both related to each other. The short answer is a modification of what I heard one of my pastoral colleagues say to me the other day, um, and it was this. Why is there suffering in the world? Well, because people stink, and people do stinky things to each other. So there. I can't really argue with that. I mean, a lot of times the suffering we experience is not suffering born out of our own doing. It's somebody else's doing that affects us. And because we believe that people are broken creations, that we're not perfect, we don't do everything right all the time, uh, that, that so often we are only looking to the good of ourselves, that sometimes our pathway intersects somebody else's pathway and things get sideways. Then there is a deeper question about suffering. And that question is the secret Luther, Lutheran question is this. Well, what does that mean? Okay, people stink. People do stinky things. What does that mean for me? And how do I play a part in all this? What's my role that I play in the suffering of the world, in, in people's lives? And the answer is, well, there's a gift that God has given us many gifts. But the greatest gift that God has given us that we really don't talk about a lot is the gift of free will. And what that means is, is that folks can make up their own mind about what they want to do or what they don't want to do. That God did not make us robots who just automatically always do exactly what God says we should do exactly when God says it. If that were true, church would be packed every Sunday morning. That people wouldn't be going and doing other things because God would just make them go. God would make them give to the church. God would make them be nice. God would make everything all right. You know, Martin Luther, who is the founder of our faith tradition, says that we really can't even say yes to God, that when we say yes to God, that's really not us doing it. It's the Holy Spirit working within us, that we don't have that capacity to choose God, therefore God chooses us. But we certainly have the power to say no. We can say no to God, and that is a gift that God's given us. God wants us to actively participate in God's mission in the world, just not do it because we have to. Luther says, all things being equal between our way and God's way, we will will choose our way. Even though our way may be fraught with uh, uh, disaster or hazard or suffering, we like to be in charge of our own lives. We like to do what we want to do. And here's the tricky thing about freedom. Freedom is always risky, and freedom is always dangerous. God gave us freedom knowing, because you know God's pretty smart, that we would probably misuse it. We probably would say no to God. We'd probably turn our backs on the things we know to be true and right and go do something else. And sometimes when we do that something else, there's a consequence. And sometimes that consequence is not good. When I was a kid, my dad at one point in my life took the training wheels off my bike. 
gave me the freedom to take my bike wherever I wanted, to ride it as fast as I wanted, to jump off jumps, to do all kinds of risky and crazy things. And I have to know that as he was taking off those training wheels, he knew with the freedom that I I have now to ride farther and faster than I ever could before, that I would at some point get myself into trouble. And I did, multiple times. In fact, I uh, was found crumpled up on a driveway once after knocking myself out because I was riding my bike way too fast and I jammed on the brakes. Over the handlebars I went. Now, my dad didn't know that exact thing was going to happen when he took the training wheels off my bike many years earlier, but he had to have known that there was going to be skinned knees, there was going to be issues, there's going to be all kinds of stuff that could and will go wrong. But my dad also knew that to restrain me, to not allow me to experience life on my level at the pace that I choose, um, would be wrong. Because then I wouldn't be living my life, I would just be being controlled by my parents. And some control that we put on our children as parents, that's a good thing. But at some point, we have to take the training wheels off. At some point, they get the keys to the car. At some point, they move out and go out on their own. At some point, they make their own decisions. And that is the same exact truth for you and me as children of God. We get to go out on our own. We get the keys to the car. The training wheels come off. We get to live our life by our own choosing and at a pace that we desire. God doesn't force us to be good. God doesn't force us to be uh, smart. God gave us the freedom to choose. Think of all the freedoms that you have in your life. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the constitutional freedoms and all that stuff. I'm just talking about the choices that you get to make, the freedoms that God gave you, that you get to chart your own course every single day. From the time you get up, the breakfast you eat, the route you choose to go to school or to work, the people you interact with for good or for ill, the thoughts you think, the posts you make on on social media, God doesn't control any of that. And we don't want God to control that. We don't want to have God exercise that kind of overbearing control in our lives. The downside of that is that when we say, hey, God, we don't want you controlling our lives, out of love, God says, okay, I won't. I won't control your life. Um, I won't make you do what you should do. I'll let you chart your own path. That path oftentimes leads to some of the sufferings that you and I experience uh, in our lives. Um, And in fact, maybe sometimes even if we're doing exactly what God tells us to do, Uh, We can be the recipients of somebody else's choice to do what they want to do. I think about cars going down a roadway, and you can be in your lane, you can be following the law, you can be uh, doing the speed limit exactly as you should. But somebody else could cross over and hit you because of the decisions they made. From no fault of your own, uh, a building might collapse. Um, There might be other tragedies in life that cause us to suffer. And at the root of that, does God allow that to happen? And the answer is yes, God does allow that to happen. And people say, well, why does God, if God loves us, why does God allow that to happen? And the real hard 
I mean, I would never share this with somebody who's in the middle of suffering. The real hard answer is that's the way we want it. We don't want God controlling our life. We don't want God controlling our bedroom. We don't want God controlling our pocketbook. We don't want God controlling our time. We don't want God controlling many, many, many things in our lives. And so God says, okay, I won't. I will give you the freedom to chart your own path, to go the way you want to go. I think the lesson of the Garden of Eden story is that there's consequences to our choices. And if we're going to have the freedom, we have to be able to accept the consequence and understand that that's not God's doing. God didn't wake up one morning and decide, who am I going to mess with today? That God is still present in the midst of that suffering, that God is still with us. The hard theological point to understand is that God does allow suffering but we, what we also need to understand, and just as important, is that God is still with us in the midst of that. How, you ask? In the ways that I talked about earlier. When people ask me, where is God in all of this? Say the condo collapsed in Surfside. Where is God in all this? God is there in the, in the lives and the, the personages of the people who are there giving up everything they have to help search for people. God is there when the people gather together and care for those who've been affected by that collapse. That's where God shows up. A lot of times we want to look up to the heavens and see the sky ripped open, and we want to see light pour down, and we want to see God you know, come down in a mighty wind or, or lightning bolts or thunder or a mighty wind, but that's not what God does. In the Old Testament, we're told that God shows up in the still, small voice. God shows up when you and I care for those who are suffering or those who are uh, having instances in their life for which there is no exam- there is no explanation. When we sit in the hospital with the person who's been stricken by an illness or in an accident or, or there's been uh, issues uh, surrounding childbirth or one of the other millions of different ways that people uh, are affected in their daily lives by suffering, when we sit with them and we hug them and we cry with them and we care for them and we don't try to explain it, we just are there, that's God's doing. There God is. I had someone ask me once when I was sitting on a commuter train when I lived in the uh, Bay Area of California, uh, ask me a, a very, very deep question about this very thing. And the question is, what is God doing? What is God doing to alleviate some of the things that are going on in the world? What is God doing uh, to help people who are hungry or, or clothe people who are naked or, or give housing to people who are homeless. What is God doing about all of these things? And I've said many times, well, God's doing a lot because God's sending all of us. God is commissioning us to be God's presence in the world. God is commissioning us to be the hands and the feet and the arms of Jesus. Read in scripture. You know, Jesus just loves people. You know, he didn't go into some deep theological dive with the woman caught in adultery. He just said, where are those who judge you? And she looked around and said, they're not here. He says, I'm not judging you either. Go and sin no more. This gift you've been given, this gift of not being judged, now take it and allow it to affect your life. Go and spread the good news. 
Go and take your hands and your feet and your arms and your legs and do the same things that I would do if I was there. You know, there are three great philosophers in the music world, Phil Collins, Tony Banks, and Michael Rutherford. You may know them as the band Genesis. Uh, they once said in one of their songs, it was the, the refrain of their song, Confusion, um, that I really think is apt for us today, especially when we talk about suffering and what is God doing about it. We already have, we already went to that theological arg- argument of why it's there. It's there because we've asked God to not bug us so much. But now what do we do about it? What's God doing about it? How is God being part of it? And the refrain of uh, Land of Confusion uh, says this, This is the world we live in, and these are the hands we're given. Use them, and let's start trying to make this a place worth living in. God has given us the greatest gift we could ever have. God has given us our hands, our feet, our lives, and let's start using them. Let's use them for what God would ask us to use them for. We're not, God doesn't ask us to explain the unexplainable. All God asks is that we bless those as we've been blessed. We love those as we've been loved. We let other people experience in our lives what we ourselves have experienced through other people's lives. May God continue to bless us each one as we carry out this very important uh, task. Thanks for joining us today on our podcast. Look forward to seeing you uh, next next week. And if you have questions, comments that you'd like to share, you can send them to my email address, moberg, the letter moberg, at growinfaith.org, moberg at growinfaith.org. We'll see you guys on Sunday. Have a great week. Bye-bye.